The presenting sponsor of EcoCheck with the IDM is RPG Research. RPG Research is a volunteer-run, nonprofit 501c3 research and human services charitable organization providing a public research repository and studies the effects of all role-playing game formats, accessibility, and inclusiveness considerations for role-playing gamers, and the potential for RPGs to help various populations achieve their educational, recreational, or therapeutic goals. The founder of RPG Research is Hawk Robinson, and he has been wonderfully supportive of my creative efforts over the years, and previously appeared as a guest on EgoCheck on, back in January 2017 on Episode 7. So go back in time and check out our conversation about all the great work he's doing. Donations to RPG Research directly support research and community programs to help people improve lives. And more information for these programs can be found at rpgresearch.com donate. Be on the lookout for RPG Research as they are kicking off an awareness and fundraising tour September through October this year throughout the Western United States. Details for this tour can be found at rpgtour.com. Welcome to another episode of Ego Check with the Hit DM. I am your host, Michael Mallon, and this week I am excited to welcome Steve Lubitz. He is a host of a Hearthstone podcast titled Off Curve, which I believe he records while driving, which is very impressive. Uh, we've been friends through Twitter for quite some time now, and you might be able to recognize him from Twitter at Wicked Good. We've had a lot of really interesting conversations uh, over the months about Hearthstone, different things going on in the game, and he's also recommended uh, some quality video games for me in the past, including Battle Chef Brigade, which is amazing on the Nintendo Switch, so definitely check that out. Uh, Steve, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. Actually, it's it's funny because my... I, I haven't picked up Battle Chef Brigade in a while, but my daughter just picked it up. So we were listening to your interview from a couple months ago in the car the other day, and she was geeking out pretty hard. So, Oh, yeah, with the, was, uh, this, the creator, I think Tom Eastman, I believe his name is. Yeah, she was she was definitely um, talking over you with things that she was <laughs> she was light bulbs were going off in her head while she was listening to the interview. So nice. she's uh, she's a fan now, too. Yeah, that game was amazing. And that was something I. It would never have been on my radar had you not recommended it the one one day on Twitter when I just threw it out there of like, hey, what are people playing? That would be good. And excellent recommendation. So let's get into it. One, it's pretty interesting time for, for Hearthstone right now. There's some nerfs that are coming down the road. There's some competitors that are in the mix. There's some grumbling about the current state of the game. There's a lot of interesting things going on. But maybe let's start with your podcast, Off Curve. How long has that been going on? Um, so that's about, I want to say about a year and a half um, I've been doing it. Um, I, Great title, been, by the way. Oh, thank you. I was surprised it was available, actually. Like, I, you know, whenever you try to try to start up a new podcast, there's always the trouble of, like, what do I name it? And then what's taken and what URLs can I get? And I was trying a few different things, and I came up with that. And, like, the fact that OffCurve.com and the OffCurve Twitter account were both available was, like, Really? Nobody's, nobody's right. thought about this yet? So I was pretty happy to be able to get that. On your site, you kind of have an uh, About Me page, and it says, Data Architect by Day, and at night, Dad to Three Awesome Girls. And you've been involved in the Hearthstone community now for several years, I believe, correct? Yeah. Yeah, I think it, I started playing. I mean, I played in beta a little bit. 
I was uh, before I was doing off curve, I was doing um, a couple of podcasts on Relay.fm, which is a podcast network. Isometric, which was a gaming podcast that eventually morphed into Disruption, which was more of a, a technology and society type podcast. And so I was trying a lot of stuff out for Isometric at the time. And I've, I've been a, a Blizzard fan for a lot longer than that. Like, I still remember walking into Egghead Software in 1997 and buying a copy of Diablo 1. And yes bringing that home and that was like my last like half a year of of high school was just that game so i've been a you know and i've played warcraft 3 i've played starcraft games i never really got into world of warcraft and then i, I picked up hearthstone and beta you know one of the things i was kind of trying out for the show never really got into it like i was a magic player in high school because my parents refused to buy me a super nintendo so i found this 12 dollar pack of magic cards instead that they thought would be cheaper <laughs> right. How, how'd that work out for him not great <laughs> not great for their budget you know it ended up bribing me for honor roll with uh boxes and magic cards like I, that can't have been cheaper than just buying me the console it's a nice reinforcement and strategy sure yeah so yeah you want to stay competitive keep your grades up that was that it worked um so i you know i tried hearthstone i kind of felt like it was magic for babies at the time and just because i never really got too much past the tutorial and then i didn't really pick it up seriously until the phone client came out, I was able to spend more time with it. And I really got kind of sucked in pretty quickly, uh, you know, started seeing a lot of the layers and, and started seeing beyond just the I mean, the tutorials in any card game are just kind of minions bashing into each other. And they never really show you like the higher level strategies because they can't. Mm -hmm. So I, I kind of got into it enough to kind of understand, OK, this is this has a lot of depth to it. And this is something I can sink my teeth into. And it kind of got to the point where. On Isometric, we had a segment at the end of the show every week, what are you playing? And it it, after, it reached a point where my co-host kind of had to take me aside and say, you need to find something else to talk about because you keep just talking about Hearthstone every week and it's kind of getting old. <laughs> so I, I kind of realized that, you know, I, I've been kind of tangentially in the community and, and in a couple of discords. I was, um, I'm, I mean, I still am, but I started out admitting the Valence Chosen Discord for a while. Um, I'm still doing that. And... Eventually, um, Andrew from the Happy Heart, Andrew Brown moved from Valen's Chosen to Happy Hearthstone, and we were talking about getting me on a guest spot. And he said, "Well, I need somebody to do these card reviews, so you th it seems like you'd be good for that." So we did that, and that kind of gave me the confidence to know that I could talk about Hearthstone for an extended period of time. And okay. I was kind of trying to figure figure out, like, well. I want to do a podcast just because I want to stop typing the same thing in Discord over and over again, but I don't really have time to do another podcast, like per the, the way Isometric and Disruption were doing. So I'm like, okay, well, this the Anchor had just come out at that point. And I said, well, you know what? I'll just do it from the car, and I'll just talk while I'm driving home. And and it's worked. I mean, it's it's very lo-fi, and you sometimes I forget to turn the air conditioner off. <laughs> and, you, and you hear a lot of the you're, background. You hear humming in the background. Yeah, and, and sometimes, you know, you'll hear the train going by or me honking at Massachusetts drivers. But, I, you know, I think it kind of gives a little bit of a, you know, a, a rustic feel to the podcast and people seem to enjoy it. And it, and it it's, makes it very easy for me to be able to fit it in and, and still be able to put out some content that people seem to enjoy. So I, I really I love doing it. And, I'm, you know, I'm happy to keep doing it. And it fits really well into my schedule. And I've been curious, like, how exactly do you record while you're driving? Like, is it just as simple as something on your phone, or is there more tech to it? Yeah, so Anchor has an app that lets you do um, – it basically records and then uploads the segments to their website, and then I can post it when I get home. Okay. Um, and I really just – I have, a, like, a you know, a air vent clip for my phone 
that I plug just basic earpods into. I drape them over the rearview mirror so that they don't um, they don't brush up against my shirt, and then I just have one earbud plugged in because that's legal in Massachusetts. Okay. So that's that's what I do, and it's it's very low tech. It's not fancy, but it works, and you know it it gets the job done. Excellent. And I and I don't know how many other games and different types of podcasts do this, but it seems like Hearthstone has your podcast, which you record while driving, and then the Walk to Work uh, podcast, which is gentleman out in Australia who is walking to work and recording a podcast about Hearthstone, which is really awesome. Uh, Blister Guy yeah, on, on Twitter. Yeah, and Blister Guy was an inspiration for me, and I actually talked to him before I started the show because I'm like, I'm not – you know, I'm not, I'm not hoarding on your territory. It's like, no, please go do it. Um, and we're, we're doing different things anyway, because he actually plays a game while he's walking. And I would not be able to do that without crashing. So yeah, that would be I, you know, I, I assume in Massachusetts yeah. and every other state. I, I mean, people do a lot of things in Massachusetts while driving, but I, I think that would probably be over the line. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he was, you know, he was kind of inspiration for me when I was doing that to kind of figure out that I could do this while kind of fitting this in. And it is kind of unique to Hearthstone. I think I don't hear a lot. Of, I mean, I remember I was podcasting way back in the very beginning in 2005. I did a fantasy football podcast way back when. And my wife and I did uh, what was called a couple cast at the time, which is what's called the Wicked Good Podcast, which is where my name comes from. So, you know, there were people who would do there was one that was called the Daily Download, which was recorded in the bathroom. We don't need to go into the name of that any much further. And, um, you know, there were a lot of people just kind of doing like, you know, wherever. But I, that's kind of gone. It's kind of become more polished radio now. The most podcasts have. So I kind of feel like I'm going back to podcasting roots a little bit, which is, you know, kind of nice, too. Yeah. Simplify. And and your episodes tend to be a, a bit on the briefer side. Yeah, I, I mean, they're kind of most of the time when I'm not, you know, on staycation or doing an interview or something like that. They're mostly time boxed by, by my commute, which from the train station is usually like about 40 to 45 minutes. If I drive all the way home from the office, it's longer. Um, and, and that happens sometimes. But I I kind of like doing that, too, because I know that there are a number of podcasts and, and I listen to them, too. And it's not a, it's not a knock on them by any stretch of the imagination. But there are a lot of podcasts in the space that will go, you know, two hours, you know, an hour and a half, two hours. And and it's good content. But, you know, sometimes you just kind of need those things that fit in the middle. And so I I like being able to carve out that niche where. I'm not asking for a huge time commitment where I can be the podcast that you fit in at the end of your commute and the beginning of the next one when you finish listening to one of the longer shows and you just want to have something to fill in the gaps. Like, I'm happy to be that. Yeah. So going back a few minutes ago, you had mentioned, I think you had talked about playing Magic and then getting into Hearthstone a bit and referring to that as, as baby magic, I think you said, which was <laughs> funny. So yeah. I, have, I have a friend, another podcast I, I run, Childhood Ruined. Go check it out. Uh, with my friend uh, at Geek Zynga. He's a huge Magic the Gathering fan and has been playing that game for decades. And I will talk about Hearthstone on that show, and he always gives me a hard time saying that, you know, Hearthstone's really, there's not that much to it compared to Magic. And it was interesting to hear you kind of compare the two, not that they're the same thing, but that you've discovered over time that there's more depth to Hearthstone than you originally thought. And for folks who maybe have that mentality or maybe have, played around with Hearthstone in a casual way, gave it a look, you know, a few times, and I was like, eh, I'm going to move on to something else. What is it about the game that, that's hooked you? So it's it's simple. First of all, it's that it's very accessible. So, like, I stopped playing Magic my freshman year of college just because it was getting too expensive and it was getting hard to find people to play with. Like, 
I went to, I think the last thing I did was I went to a pre-release, I think for Stronghold was the set that I went to that, um, you know, ended up top 16ing and having to try to find a cab back from Boston two o'clock in the morning, which <laughs> was probably more difficult than actually getting into the top 16. But, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's the kind of thing where you have to go someplace. And like, I, you know, I've got three kids. I don't, I, do, I just don't have that kind of availability to be able to like, go to a card shop on a Friday night. I mean, now I probably could. I could probably take one of my daughters with me. She would probably be into it. But like when I started playing, like that wasn't really an option. And so Hearthstone is something that you can just play, you know, on your phone or, you know, on your computer. But you can play you can get a game whenever you want and you don't need to go anywhere. And that kind of that kind of you can play for five minutes or you can play for two hours kind of gameplay really um, makes it a little bit more accessible. And, and there are a number of really high level strategies that don't really seem apparent when you just kind of go through the tutorial and you go through the beginning of it. But, and, and, you know, the difference between magic and, and Hearthstone really is that in Hearthstone, you can't interact on your opponent's turn. Whereas in magic, you can play things like instance and interrupts that will like, you can counter spell, you can, you can kill off a minion that's attacking something like that. And, and in Hearthstone, there are very limited ways to interact with your opponent on their turn. So that makes it seem simpler, but that also, it, it, it introduces a different level of complexity because you're always trying to set up things that are going to be able to withstand your opponent's next turn without being able to dictate where blocks go or, you know, play a spell on their turn and, and interrupt what they're doing. And, and that kind of adds a different level of complexity. I don't think it's more, I, hard, magic is still a more complex game than Hearthstone, but I don't think that makes it a better game. I, it definitely has a lot more mechanics to it, and it can be much more daunting for somebody who's getting into it. And Hearthstone's starting to get to that point. Like, they've become a little bit more more free about introducing keywords on cards as opposed to just writing out the text. And, you know, which is something that has a cost to it because you need to understand what that keyword means. And, you know, I mean, there are tooltips. Like, the first time you see it, you, you figure it out. But that's something that Magic's really been kind of much more free with. And then you, you're reading it, and then they still have to print the whole thing on the card anyway. Right. <laughs> but but it's like, you know, I, I tried to go back to, I, I picked up Magic Arena. I, I tried to get it working on my Mac. It's not working well. But I was looking at some, you know, some Magic cards that my wife got at a flea market recently to see if any of them were, you know, were valuable. And you start looking at the cards. And I'm like, I, I played Magic and I don't recognize any of these words. <laughs> and right. And it's like. And it's like, you know, I mean, granted, it's been 20 years, but or 15 years, but even so, it's like I would have to learn the entire game from scratch now. And and it's it's hard if you don't keep up with it. And so playing Hearthstone, uh, you know, off and on and then, you know, more consistently over time, because the game's been out now. I think the beta was, what, three years ago? Um, Longer than that. Longer because than three that years ago, three years ago would have been League of Explorers, I think, was was announced at BlizzCon 2015. So I think it would have been like a year or two, maybe like it's probably closer to, you know, the closed beta was probably five years ago, I, I imagine, because I think it was in beta for a while, if I remember correctly. Time, man. It's uh, I know it's a blink. Jeez. So <laughs> like my son's almost two, which is bizarre. So the game has been out for a while. And to me, like I've been playing, I think, daily, more or less, at least to just you know finish a quest and make sure mm -hmm. I'm building up building up gold that way and working on ranks and things like that. I mean, 
probably for the better part of a year and a half, two years. So, yeah, I guess certainly it's older than three years. To you, how has the game changed over time, for better or for worse? I think that they've – so one of the one of the criticisms early on was that Hearthstone was basically an R, a, a, a random fest. I was going to say RNG, and I know not everybody knows what that means. RNG is short for random number generator. Which I had to look that randoms. up about two and a half years ago when I started playing. Yeah. I saw all these articles. of like, <laughs> RNG, what are they talking about? And it's like, oh, okay, yeah. now I got it. Yeah, and and there were a lot of cards that that just introduced a lot of randomness because because randomness is something that you can do in Hearthstone that you can't do in a paper game like Magic. I mean, you can. I think there was a a card called Chaos Orb way back when. I mean, I'm I'm dating myself back to like I, I remember getting some revised where you would flip it over the table and it would destroy anything that it touched or something like that. There was a card in Ascension. I don't know if you've ever played that game, but there's a card in Ascension that did the same thing, and which I think they kind of borrowed slash stole from Magic. Whereas, like, if you drew it, then you put it up in the air, whatever it landed on, you got to add that to your deck. So, kind of similar idea. Yeah, I only played that on my – I only played the mobile version of Ascension, which I don't think you'd really be able to implement that quite the same way in the, in the digital version, I guess, which also probably affected that. But So there was a lot of, a lot of uh, reliance on randomness as – a way to keep games interesting. And that kind of came to a head with uh, Yog saron in Whispers of the Old Gods, which was a card that would play a random spell for every spell that you'd played that game. And, on a and random that, target. Yes, on a random target. So it was basically just, here we go. <laughs> and you, right. you sit there and you watch the animations and you you, you don't know what happened, but the, the board state sure is different from when you started. It was like pulling a and, slot machine. Yeah, it absolutely was. And, and there was a lot of criticism that it didn't really matter what you were doing up until that point, because then you just play Yogg and just, you know, hope that you won. And it came to a head in one of the tournaments, uh, the, the Hearthstone Championship Tour tournaments, where somebody qualified because they just like were playing Druid and Druid's Druid tends to uh, cheat the mana curve. So it'll tr- be able to play big things faster than the opponent. And this guy was in dire straits and then he just decided he was just going to play all of his all of his ramp cards get himself up to full mana play yog and just cross his fingers and hope for the best and it was like he'd only played maybe five spells but those five spells did exactly what he needed and you could just see like the hope drain out of his opponent's eyes on the cam as he watched the the yog go off and that right after that it was nerfed to make it less effective but i mean they've definitely been trying to rein in the that kind of randomness and trying to make it more of they've introduced this uh the uh, way back in uh 2015 they introduced the concept of discover where it shows you three cards and you can or three effects and you can pick one of them it shows them at random and you pick one so it's kind of controlled randomness and they've been getting better at that and better at trying to avoid um, situations where the things that you draw predetermine the game. They've been trying to make it more so that your decisions matter. And, and to be fair, they've really been successful at that to a large extent because the the players at the top of the uh, competitive scene have been very consistent where there wasn't really so, so much the case in the past. Like in the past, it would be you'd have you'd be going through the, the qualifiers and you'd have a bunch of people that you've never heard of before, and they'd be qualifying. And this year, it's kind of the same top-tier players are placing. They may not be winning because, I mean, there is there is variance involved, but sure. they're, they're placing consistently. And going up to Just Saiyan, who is one of the people who qualified for Worlds this past weekend, who I think they said he, ran, he won something like 40 or 50 meaningful matches in a row. 
something ridiculous like that, which is unheard of yeah, in, in a game like, like this. Yeah, like an 80 or 90% win rate go, yeah. going for them, which is just bananas. Yeah, I mean, a 60% win rate is, like, really good. Right. <laughs> and he's winning, like, 80% of his matches. It was bananas. So I, I think that they've really kind of come that come a long way in that regard. I think that what they're kind of struggling with right now is – that the variance in the cards themselves isn't a problem, but the variance in the decks and how they match up to each other is becoming a problem where a lot of the the games feel like they're decided by the deck that you queued up and not necessarily the decisions that you're making in that in those games, um, which has been kind of the controversy of late with a lot of talk about polarity in the meta and right. Um, there's a, a group called Vicious Syndicate who's basically a bunch of data scientists who crunched the numbers and uh, did, a, did a lot of analysis on how polarized a lot of the matchups were and they could see it kind of shrinking up based on some of the, some of the cards and mechanics that they've been introducing. And there, there's some concern about how that's going to be addressed um, going forward. And I think that's where a lot of the, the animosity or the, the, the discontent in the community is right now. Because the the meta we've we've kind of the problem that Hearthstone used to have in the past was that there would be like three or four decks and that would be it. And going back to there was one meta where there's basically one deck and you played it or or you lost to it. And now there's a lot of decks, but they all kind of it's like this huge game of rock paper scissors where they all kind of hard counter a different deck, and it can feel like you your your decisions didn't really matter as much as they should based on you know, how hard you're countered by just the deck you're playing against. Yeah. One of the things I wanted to chat with you about uh, from your perspective is, is vicious syndicate. So I've, I've interviewed um, several folks from, from that organization uh, over the past year or two uh, for this, for this podcast. And if you haven't heard those episodes, uh, go back and listen to them. Um, uh, Felix mock is uh, kind of on the software engineer side. And then um, the two, um, Brothers who kind of run the data collection, data analysis piece. Ohad Zach Zacko on Vicious Syndicate is the person who writes the Data Reaper report, which is a weekly report that is sort of the gospel for Hearthstone if you're taking the game seriously or competitively at all, where they, on a week-to-week basis, tell you, here are the decks that are performing well, here's why, here are the decks that are performing poorly, here's why, and if you want to take advantage of the current state of the meta, here's some suggestions. And I think as that has become more readily known and available to people who are playing the game competitively, I just think it's had a major impact on the game in both some good and not even bad, but just it's it's definitely affected the game. And I'm just wondering what your thoughts are about that since you've been playing the game longer than I have. Yeah, I think there, there's a concept of a meta being solved. So, I mean, and, and a meta, if you don't play, you know, card games or games like this a lot, it's kind of like the decks that are viable, that are competitive at any given time and, and that aren't – generally there's a couple of decks that are very prevalent because they have just kind of good spreads against the, against the, the field and then there are like tier two or three decks that are – not necessarily as good against the field, but they're good against the decks that are very prevalent. And, and that kind of makes up a meta report that gets broken into tiers. And, and typically those kind of, it's a little bit volatile until pe- people kind of figure out what the best decks are and then it kind of settles down. And once things stop getting tried, then it, it 
talks you you talk about the meta being solved that we figured out all the decks that are really viable in this in with this collection of cards to work with and there's not really going to be a whole lot of innovation at that point and that's kind of when people start to get antsy because things get boring um the meta gets solved much more quickly now than it used to for sure you you see really especially in the way that that standard works is that every year there's a rotation where three sets go out that were from two years prior and then one set comes in and then for the next two sets it's just additive and you can see like when there's a rotation and all of a sudden people have to stop relying on things that they've been relying on for the past year or the past two years there's more of an unsettled period it generally takes about a month or two to really settle down but when a new set comes out after that the meta is solved within like two weeks usually and and that definitely is accelerated um, since the the introduction of things like the the vicious syndicate data reaper and, and HS replay um, providing d- up to the minute even um, statistics around you know decks that are with win rates and decks that are have the best win rates over a period of time at, at with different filters and there's a lot of different ways that you can get um, you can get that kind of information whereas it before that it was basically like, well, you're going to wait for Tempo Storm to come come down from the mountain with their meta report that's just from the um, the gut of competitive players, which is not to say that it doesn't have merit. It absolutely does. There's something to be said for you know expert analysis as well. And I, I you know I know a couple of the Tempo Storm folks, and they, they do good work. But there wasn't ever there's never really a whole lot of data behind it to back up the you know the the feel. But that was kind of that would come out and that would be the you know, the, the lay of the land for a while, or you'd just be following pro players on Twitter and they'd be p- posting decks. And maybe that was something that was actually working with, for them. And maybe that was just them trolling with some stupid deck. They wanted to see how many people they could get to try it. <laughs> so, so it's definitely, you know, it's definitely accelerating things. You also have a better idea of like what matchups are good against what, and, you know, and people are more willing to switch based on data or collect their own data and, and be able to track their statistics and stuff like that. So it is a much more data-driven culture, but it does lead to those metas getting solved much more quickly. Yeah, and definitely on Twitter. I know, you know I've been pretty unactive, pretty active on Twitter uh, for, like, I do a lot of things with Dungeons and & Dragons and talking with other people in the, the D&D community. And then when I started to get in the Hearthstone, I started searching for, I was like, oh, I wonder how many people are on Twitter playing this game. And then I found some of, like, the pros or streamers and they would throw up deck lists from time to time and that is something i am not good at Um, i think i'm better at the game over time but in terms of putting out putting together my own deck that is successful it's not a strength i will (laughs) readily admit that so it was fun to get decks from other players and then i had found tempo storm and then uh vicious syndicate way back when and kind of learned more about vicious syndicate that they were data scientists and had you know, advanced degrees in different fields and was very curious about that. So I was happy to interview those folks. Um, but I don't know, like a game like Magic, does the same thing exist? Does Is there the same, I assume there's meta reports, but is there the same level of analytics data that is available to play around with? Well, I don't think there, I don't think there can be. Just because like one of the things that's happening like a, a, what, the way that that Vicious Syndicate and HS Replay get their data is that there's a, an add-on uh, on the desktop called uh, Hearthstone Deck Tracker, and what that does is that will 
I think it, I think the way it works is it takes the logs from each game and then it uploads them to HS replay server. And then, um, which is also how vicious syndicate gets access to that data as well. And they are collating all that data from every game that those players are, are playing. So it's automatic. Like it's going to a much, a really low level of detail down to like what card was played on what turn and, you know, doing things with, you know, in HS replace case fairly dubious statistics around the, the win rate when a card was played in a game, which is correlation and not causation. Sure. And that's something that we don't have the time for me to go into right now because I'll, I'll yell about that for literally an hour. But, um, but, you know, so you have a lot like lower level of detail, whereas in, in Magic, you, you know, it's a paper card game. So you would have to have people recording all of those games and then in a, in a standard format manually, because I don't know how else you would do it, and then uploading that somewhere. Now, maybe with something like Magic Arena, which is their Hearthstone-like online client, that might be something that's possible. I don't, that's still in beta. And like I said, I haven't gotten that to run on my Mac, so I don't really know what's available in it. But presumably that would be a way that you'd be able to start doing that for Magic, assuming that all of the decks in that game are the same as they are in Paper Magic, which I believe they are. Uh, that's a way that you could get there. But just the volume of data wouldn't be there for a paper card game. And, and really you're, you're having to collect that data from like in, you know, in person tournaments. You're not getting it from, like ranked ladder games, which is where a lot of the data is coming from uh, for it, it's I mean, it's where really all the data is coming from, from HS replay and um, and vicious syndicate, like even tournament metas are, are kind of a completely different beast. And those are collecting different stats entirely. Yeah. And, I, you know, it's interesting, vicious syndicate, what they, they've done is there's different levels of, of play. So, you know, if you're at rank 20, the meta looks different than if you're at rank 10 versus rank 5 versus rank 1 uh, or the legend ranks. So it's it's been interesting just to see those reports and you can filter it out by kind of what rank you're at or what rank you're curious about. Because if you were just to take the average of all the games played, I don't think it would give you an accurate picture of what is really happening um, because all the lower ranks sort of drowned out what's going on near the really competitive, uh, high-skilled players at the top. I just find it really fascinating because it does seem like that data that's available really changes behavior on a pretty vast scale. So just, you know, my background, psychology, it's like when when you know you're being observed, you tend to do things a little bit differently. And I think, you know, every Thursday this report comes out and people know it's going to come out. And there's going to be, like, here's what's happening in the meta, here's what you should play, or here's this new deck that we've been seeing from this one pro, and this was really successful. So it's like you you kind of know what you're going to be facing all the time on ladder based on that report. <laughs> yeah, and, and you can set your watch to it. Like, as right. soon as that – because it comes out – Every Thursday, unless there's been a new set release and they need to collect more data, right. it comes out like every Thursday at noon Eastern, like clockwork, and the meta shifts quickly and drastically based on that, based on the, the, um, based on the publication of that report. And if there's a new deck that was kind of like a hidden secret and it's published in that report, it is no longer a hidden secret. Right. I remember uh, it was a few months or maybe longer because my sense of time is a little skewed, but Warlock has a deck, Zoo, where it's just, 
you turn out cards, you turn out threats. It's very aggressive. And it, it kind of went away for quite a long time. Yeah. And then somebody figured out, well, if I heal myself, then I can start playing minions for free and buff them up and boost these other minions that if you heal something, they get more attack. And all of a sudden, Zoo was back. And then Zoo was everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it just seemed yeah, like I it mean, happened yeah. overnight. Yeah, it does. And and I remember, like, there was one month that it was towards the end of the month, and I was reading through. And sometimes there are little gems that are buried in there that don't quite make it through. Because, you know, a lot of people will look at what the popular decks are, and there's, like, a meta recommendation at the end. Right. But sometimes you read through, and there are these little tidbits that you don't really catch otherwise. And there was one month that they talked about uh, – this was in the, the Cobalt and Catacombs meta. There was a card called Spiteful Summoner, which yes. would pull a spell out of your deck – and summon a minion with a cost equal to that spell. And that would have been tried in the priest class, but it was just getting started in Druid mm -hmm. because Druid has a card called Ultimate Infestation, which is 10 mana that draws five everything. cards, does five. Yeah, it does. It does everything and then some. And it's pretty much the only spell you need to run in your deck. So it was like 28 cards in that. And I picked that out and I just put it on ladder and I went to Legend from rank three, which is like I probably won like like I probably went like 15 and two or three, something ridiculous like that to get to legend rank over like a night. And, 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 you know, it's that kind of thing. And then, and I wrote a guide on it and it was everywhere by the next, you know, by the end of the, by the beginning of the next week. So it's, it's, you know, there's, there are sometimes those little gems that they hide in there that you can find and you can get yourself an edge, but yeah, it is, what what typically happens is that they'll make a recommendation and people will try to counter the recommendation. So the recommendation is like stale by the time that it's printed because people will look at that and then immediately start playing decks specifically to counter those. It's it's interesting the the effect on kind of the behavior of the 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 mass and, and this is at higher ranks too. Like at lower ranks, I, I know it filters down. It takes a little bit longer to get to like. 20 to 15 or 15 to 10, but at the five to legend rank where a lot of the tryhards are like that, it's the impact that is felt like really, really quickly and really, really drastically. Yeah. And if, if you're not familiar with the vicious syndicate reports and, and you play Hearthstone or, you know, you want to try to get quote unquote better at the game, check out those reports. Uh, Zacho does a wonderful job of writing them. They're funny. They kind of have a sense of humor and it's just the, not only the numbers, cause you know, numbers are only half the story, but interpreting those numbers, he just does a wonderful job with that. And his predictions about what cards are going to be uh, really impactful when they're released, like he doesn't do like a huge card review or anything, but every once in a while on Twitter, he'll throw something up there. And like he called Giggling Inventor. He's like, this card is busted. <laughs> and the strongest neutral since Corridor Creeper, which was another card that was nerfed. And, you know, months later, here we are getting a nerf to Giggly Inventor. So yeah. it's like they, they know what they're doing. And I think it's a really awesome service. At the same time, I think it does make the folks designing Hearthstone, I think it makes their job harder. And while it makes maybe playing the game a little bit easier in some ways, I think it makes the, the job harder to design it. Yeah, I, I think that's where, kind of where we're getting to right now. And I, I want to say before we get off of this, like I do – as somebody who – I don't work – I'm not a data scientist, but I work with them. And I really do have a lot of respect for the way that the Vicious Syndicate guys Absolutely. go about yeah. how they're doing it. Like, I, And this is something that I talked about on Off Curve when they released this meta-polarization report. Like the way that you know that a data scientist – 
is doing the right thing is when they can explain to you what they're doing in plain English and you can understand it without needing to know the math behind it. And and they very regularly will do that and they'll go through the methodology and explain it. And that's something that not all the services that are collecting and aggregating data do, but Vicious Syndicate does. And they're generally they're very good about explaining what they're doing and then backing up what they're what they're saying with the numbers. But you don't necessarily need to see all the math behind it. So I, I really do appreciate what they're doing for the community by bringing that experience to bear. But I, I do think that what's happening and a lot of the reason that there's discontent is that the meta does get stale after, you know, again, like a month to two months. And, you know, there's really there's just for the competitive players, unless you're traveling to tournaments, which can be expensive and even just difficult to get into, uh, you, you have the rank system and then you're just playing the same, you know, the same decks over and over again. And it does, it can get kind of boring. And, and the problem that I think that Blizzard's gotten into is that they've designed cards in a way that, it, and I, I don't envy their job at all because I can't even imagine what it's like to try to develop like 135, 135 cards at a time, put them into an ecosystem and then make sure that nothing really like out of line is going to happen. And it's an, it's an almost impossible task, and it's really impressive that they're able to do as well as they are with the with the cards that they're releasing. But they've they've had like a couple of offenders every set for like the last year or so. And so what's happened is that they release a, a set every four months, generally, give or take a couple of weeks. But it's typically pretty reliable that they're releasing it every four months. You can start to you know feel the cadence of it after since they've gone to the standard rotation. And for the last year or so, every set had a patch in the middle of the expansion where they've had to make card changes. And those card changes have resulted in a completely different metagame. And so we've kind of gotten used to that cadence that a meta is going to last for about two months. And so what happened with this last, with this current meta is that the two months were kind of coming up and they put out a notice and said, well, we're keeping an eye on giggling inventor. We're not really going to, we're not going to make any card changes at this time. And, Oh, I think that kind of messed with people's expectations because they were expecting changes to come. I think everybody kind of had an idea that Giggling Adventure was too strong. They are they are eventually nerfing it as we're recording this tomorrow. But they were saying at the time, well, we're not ready to do that yet. And that kind of messed with people's sense of rhythm because they, we, everyone was kind of expecting, OK, well, the HTT playoffs are done this is probably when they're going to do a card change so that they can give the players plenty of time for championships because they've affected esports in the past, too, when they're trying to get around that. And when it didn't come, I think a lot of people got really frustrated that they were, this was going to be the meta for the next two, for the next two months. And this was going to be all there is. And, and that also came at the same time that they announced that there was a tournament mode that they were pla- that they had announced way back in February that we hadn't really heard anything about. And then at the same time, they said, oh, by the way, this meta th- that you're um, that you're tired of isn't changing. They said, oh, by the way, that tournament mode that we talked about that we said was going to be available in beta. We're not doing that anymore. And that, uh, you know, I, and the reason for that is I think is a good one. Like and I've had way too many arguments about this and because and, I can see it from the developer perspective 
where what they were building, I think people knew from the beginning wasn't really what people wanted because it wasn't going to mirror the the esports experience. Mm-hmm. They were putting in um, tournaments for like very small groups. They weren't going generally when you play in a tournament, you pick four decks and then you can ban one of your opponents. And they weren't going to be implementing a ban, so it was going to be very different than the. It was it was going to be more for the in person fireside gatherings than for replicating a you know like a like a feeder into the esports scene. So there were a lot of people who were upset with that, and and rightfully so. And I think that what happened was they got far enough along, and they kept trying to change it to incorporate all the feedback that came from the announcement. Figured out that they weren't building what the community was expecting, and they decided to can the project or put it on hold indefinitely. Until they could figure out what to do. And, and, you know, you could argue that they just that's a failure in and of itself, that they weren't talking to the right people. Like they have an esports division in Blizzard that they could talk to and they didn't, um, which came out in, a, in an interview recently. But resp- aside from that, like, I, you know, I've been in those shoes as a developer where you're building something that nobody wants. And like your choices are basically to, to just scrap the project and try again later or just keep marching towards getting this thing out the door so that you can say you shipped it, even though if nobody's going to use it. And the only thing that feels worse than canceling a project midway is spending long hours building something and then having nobody use it. And so I think that, and I think that if they had released it in what and people, I've heard this argument too, like, well, it was a beta, just release it and then we'll, we'll get feedback. Like, no, that's not how betas work in game dev. Like betas are, you know, they might have bugs in them, but they're pretty much feature complete or, or you know, pretty close to what the final version is going to be. And if that wasn't what the community wanted, like, I don't think they were going to go be able to go back and start from the drawing board again. So I, I think that it was a good thing. And I think that it's ultimately a sign of maturity of the dev team that they did that. But it was at the same time as they were saying, we're not making any card changes. It was not what people wanted to hear, myself included. And I, I think that that kind of led to a lot of discontent. And this is also coming at the same time that we've already talked about Magic Arena. Eternal is another game that's kind of up and coming in the collectible in the digital collectible card game scene. Yeah, the guy that um, I recorded the other podcast with, he that's he plays that all the time. He's trying to get me into it. I, I haven't fired it up, but I know Artifact is, is Yeah. Yeah, Artifact's away. the other one. Yeah, Artifact is is Valve's game that they're basing off of Dota. And that's kind of the big thing that's gonna be capturing a lot of that's capturing a lot of people's attention because they, they gave away a bunch of beta keys at uh PAX PAX West, and that's gonna be launching in the next couple months. And so there's a lot of people looking at other things. Um Eternal it just introduced a tournament mode of its own that it's been doing some tests of the last couple weekends. So there's a lot of well, there are all these other card games, maybe Hearthstone isn't you know, isn't listening or isn't giving me what I want anymore. And that's a valid, that's a valid feeling, right? Like, I mean, it's, it, it's a long time to play one game. Well, and I've, and yeah, yeah, to jump in, I think that's something I wanted to to pick your brain about is, I mean, you've mentioned the tournament mode that that's a disappointment for, for quite a few players, the lack of tournament mode, I should say the, the meta feeling stale more quickly, which, in some ways, it, it's balanced. There's different decks that are viable with the different heroes. But just you mentioned the polarity. It just feels like people are not satisfied with the whole ladder experience. That's been yeah. an ongoing concern. There's more competitors now. And I think the game is hitting some just some growing pains of that. It's been out for a while. And I always wonder about this, about the Blizzard games. And it's a little off point, but... 
how do you keep people invested in the same game over and over again? Like, you know, I kind of come from a background of like playing, buying a video game, playing it, beating it, and then you sort of move on to the next thing. And games like Overwatch and Hearthstone and like World Warcraft, they, they keep releasing new content and different content, but at its core, it's the same. It's a similar experience. Yeah. And I just wonder how long fans can just stay in that mode. It, it seems to work in other franchises, and obviously World of Warcraft's been hugely successful, and Diablo, and Heroes of the Storm, and all these other Blizzard games, and other types of games of that ilk. Um, but with with Hearthstone, just from being like following different streamers and folks on Twitter, it does seem like there's more discontent than usual. Yeah, I mean, I guess the the answer to your first question is well, Magic's been a game for 25 years, so I would imagine that there's yeah. there's some longevity there. I mean, that would be the counterpoint that Magic's basically the same game. I mean, they keep introducing new mechanics, new cards, but it's it's fundamentally the same game there, for that period of time. And I think with Magic, there's more of a social component. There's more of a yeah, that's for sure. There's more of an investment. Like you said, one of the great things about Hearthstone is you can play on a bus. You can play at line while you're waiting for something. You can. You know, you can play on a computer, you can sit down and really take an evening, play that, or you can play mobile. Where with Magic, it's more of a commitment. And yeah, I, I mean, it's almost more like D&D in a way, where yeah, you're, you're kind of getting absolutely. together with a group of people, and, and you're going to be going at a particular time, whereas Hearthstone's more like, you know, playing, at, you know, any sort of video game, where any online video game, where you just go and there's going to be games for you no matter what. I mean, I think the flip side danger of that is that Hearthstone's so easy to get into, that it could yep. potentially be really easy to give up. I was thinking about yeah. this today leading up to our interview of, like, I have a Hearthstone card collection. You know, I've been playing the game for quite a long time. I've, I've bought pre-release or the pre-order packs and open packs, and that collection isn't anywhere that I can hold or see or do anything with. Like, if I wanted to sell my cards, I really can't do that. If I wanted to look yeah. at them, I really can't do that. And if I was not to open up Hearthstone tomorrow or the next day or the next day, nothing about my day-to-day experience would change. Like, I think that's a potential problem, don't you think? Yeah, I think that the flip side of that, because Artifact is trying to address that by allowing a secondary market for cards, and that well, is that going to... really dangerous, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, because the problem with Magic, with getting into Magic, especially, like, you know, because I've, you know, I've had my moments of weakness and then I've looked at it and, but it's like to build a single like meta deck is like several hundred dollars to buy the cards individually. And, and they've, they've talked about this. Um, the Hearthstone developers have a couple times and they didn't want to create a, um, they didn't want to create an environment where different cards of the same rarity were worth more or less than the others like you can take any card you open up in a pack you can dust it and you can use that dust to craft a different card um but they're all kind of the same value Mm -hmm. once you start getting into allowing players to to trade cards and buy and sell cards then you start creating a market where those cards have individual values and that can get very expensive for the cards that are meta relevant um to be able to put together a, a collection i mean artifact isn't going to even have a way that you can be free to play uh, like like Hearthstone, like you can you you talked about getting into with your quest to earn gold. Like you can go and earn an amount of gold that a uh, hundred gold gets you a pack. And so in generally, like you can get one like every two days. The way that the quest structures is set up, maybe a little bit more if you play 
um, you, if you play a lot and win a lot. But the, Artifact, you're going to buy cards with money. That's it. It's, go, it's like magic. And I, I think that's going to be a, a real shock for the people who are very excited about that game if it, if it takes off about, like, if you need a particular card for a meta deck, how expensive that could get. Um, it could really kind of spiral out of control. But I, I think that the problem that, that Hearthstone has right now is that there's not really a lot in the way, in terms of end game con- content for somebody who's not at like the highest echelon of player. Like there's uh, the, the HCT tour um, system for people who are like the esports players. So right. you, you get a high, lo- a high ranked finish and then you qualify for these tournaments and then you go to some, some place often in another country and then you play for the weekend and then you go home. And that's, that's like their, their job basically. And that, that's kind of their content. And then for everyone else, there's just ladder and ladder after you've gotten to legend, there's not like a lot of incentive. If you're not, if you're not at that level, if you don't have aspirations of becoming a pro player, there's not a lot of aspir not a lot of incentive for you to climb up. Like you, you see your ranking go up and down at Legend. Like it'll tell you where you are at effectively at a, a leaderboard, but there's not really a whole lot of incentive to do. That. Like I get to Legend, I haven't I haven't gotten there in the last couple of months because this meta has been impossible for me to figure out for whatever reason. But I, I, before that, I was getting to Legend fairly consistently, and I would just switch over to the other format. I would switch over from standard to wild where all the cards are available and do that because like grinding legend ladder just is not a lot of fun. It feels like you're, you're just kind of running on a treadmill. Like I I've described it on my show is feeling like the dog who caught the car. Like you try really hard. Like legend is that goal because they give you a new card back that you only, only players who have gotten to legend will get. You get a shiny orange badge that everyone on their, on your friends list can see showing you that you've gotten to legend. Um, you know, it's a big thing, but then after that, it's like, well, now what? And th- there really isn't much. Yeah, and I, I, and I wrote about that, that, you know, I got to Legend last August for the first time, not this year, but last year, and I haven't even thought about trying to do it again. Like, it's just not it's yeah. not that important. To do it once, I think, is a big deal, and it's a fun goal, and then my next goal was, all right, I want to get all my heroes to golden, so I get 500 wins with each hero, which I, I accomplished that earlier this month or last month. I think it was last month, maybe this month. Regardless, I got I got Priest to 500 wins. So now I have all Golden Heroes. I got to Legend. And it's like, okay, what do I do now? I like playing. I, I think the game's fun. Um, but it's now like trying to find a fun deck that is kind of successful. Maybe getting into Arena because I haven't been that much of an Arena player, but... Arena just tilts the heck out of me. <laughs> <laughs> I am not a good arena player, and I have some folks on Twitter I follow who are just constantly cranking out 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 win runs. It's like, I just don't know how they're doing that. But yeah, I think it's a similar thing where I was playing the game much more frequently, and I got the report that they send out about your month in Hearthstone. And I looked, and I th- think I had 60 wins in standard for the month, which to me is like really low because I just haven't been playing many games. Right. Um, and I don't know what they do with that. Like I've really enjoyed the single player content, like the monster hunt and the kobolds in catacombs dungeon run was like, that is a ton of fun. And then like, once you finish that, unless there's a quest to go backwards, like there's no reason to keep playing it. Um, yeah. 
but that idea of beating some and beating some boss monsters, building a deck, and going forward, like it's. I hope they continue that format in some degree. But the competitive side, and I think again because it's not an in-person game, you're just playing against random folks, and it's it's very impersonal. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that that's really what a lot of people were looking to tournament mode to be. Because the one problem that Hearthstone really has is that it, there's a big disconnect between the experience that you get on when you're playing at home and the experience that the, you're seeing when you're watching a tournament. Because when you're playing at home, your only option is you're playing in ranked, which means you're, you're queuing one deck into one deck, and you're playing one game against one person, and you're moving on to the next. Whereas... In a tournament, typically, again, you're bringing four decks, your opponent's banning one, and then you're playing a best-of-five series. And there's no way to do that in the client right now. Even for the tournaments, they're doing that all through third-party systems. And I think that's, like, what what I was disappointed with and what I really hoped that Blizzard would do is just build some way to do best-of-five into the client. Like, they were going down the road of doing, like, a whole, like, tournament organizer mode where you'd be able to set up brackets and everything else. And I, I think that that's, like, that's, like, phase three. And phase one is just, like, let's play best-of-five in a way that where you can get better at it because there's nowhere to do it. Like, there, you, if you're going to be playing that kind of experience, like, you have to kind of seek out these things that are outside the client. You need to know where to go and where to set, sign up for them. You have to add random people to your friends list just in order to challenge them. Yeah. You need to make sure that you're taking screenshots after every game to prove that you won the games that you said you won. And And there's not really any way to get that in the client and like i think if they just took like a, a version of rank that was best of five like the I, I think about heroes of the storm or like league of legends but heroes of the storm is the one i've played the most so i'll, I'll kind of go with that where they have like a quick play mode which is basically like you pick one one character and you just go and you get matched with randoms but then there's also like an unranked and a ranked mode where you're doing a draft and it is exactly like what you're seeing when you're going into uh, an esports tournament. There's a team mode separate from, you know, I, what they call hero. I think it's hero league where you're just kind of queuing it on your own and you're, you're drafting with, with a bunch of random people, but there is also a team league where you have to have a group of five people right. and you're playing. And, and that is the, the same experience you're getting in esports when you're watching a tournament. We don't have that in Hearthstone. We don't have a way that you can replicate the tournament experience on your own. And, and I think that would be a different challenge that I think would be kind of fresh and different. And it also would kind of uh, a lot of times when the, when the latter meta is very boring, the tournament meta is very diverse. And I think that would kind of help a lot of the, the, the meta getting stale because you have to master a bunch of different decks and you have to understand another layer of competition, which is band strategy and, and Q order and that type of thing. And like, what decks do you bring for a particular meta? What, you know, which is beyond just like what deck do I queue? Well, um, and I think there's a lot of things they could take from the tournament mode, and just and I don't know if there's a way to implement it in the game. But as you were talking, I was thinking, you know, they could decide one one season or one month, like you know what, the Death Knights are banned, you know, yeah, and they could even come up with a story to go around that. That's kind of in world of like, oh, this this card has taken these death knights to prison or something. I mean, they could get really goofy or whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it has this kind of fun in story thing, but like some of the more powerful cards, instead of like hall of faming them or nerfing them, they could say, you know what, for the month of December, uh, these cards are going on vacation. 
and they'll yeah. be back in January, but in December they're going on vacation. They just won't be accessible in standard. Like, I don't know how difficult it is to code that. I don't know how the community would react, but I got to imagine anything that shakes things up for a short period of time, people would be into. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, and they've done that for tavern brawls. Like they've implemented tavern brawls where certain cards were banned. Yeah. So I don't think that would be out of the realm. I mean, you could just call it yacht mode. Right. right. Like have it be separate from from standard, have it be a different mode that, you know, has different restrictions and let people be a little bit more creative with deck building. I mean, they would have to have support for that. And I think the reason that people focus on standard is because that's where the tournament is. The tournament support is. So that's where a lot of the, the serious players are. That's where a lot of the deck building happens, which is one of the problems with Wild right now, which is that it just doesn't get enough support from Blizzard. So it's not it doesn't have as much of a of a community. But I think that you just need like something somewhere else to go. Like I, I've realized that, you know, I've been um, casting more like community in smaller tournaments uh, doing the play by play, which is something I, I love doing because I've wanted to do. I grew up as like going to like radio classes at summer camp and wanting to do that and and doing play by play announcing is something I've always wanted to do. But I was never good at sports, so I couldn't I never really understood a sport well enough to do it. But I understand Hearthstone real well, so I can do that. And so what I've been doing is I've been kind of treating ladder as research. Okay. And I've been going in with it, not like I'm going to rank up, but like I need to play this deck enough to be able to talk about it intelligently on a cast. And that that changes the perspective because it takes the focus off of I need to get to legend or or not or why am I doing this to myself over and over again to I'm not as much concerned about my rank though I would love to get to legend but I'm more concerned about learning these decks inside and out so that I can talk about them on a cast but that's also an opportunity that's not really available to most people right and so I'm kind of in, an, in a unique spot where I have a different approach to ladder because of thing again because of things outside of the game experience well and I also have recommended this before that playing all the different decks that are viable and even some that aren't and learning the different heroes, learning different decks. When you face those decks, you're just better prepared. You're a better player. Yep. Like I, I know after playing a, a hero that I hadn't played before, you know, I would learn that I would learn those cards, learn that deck, be like, okay, here's what I'm trying to do. Here's, here's some of the things to watch out for. And then when I'm playing against that deck, it's just, you, you kind of, you know, what's going to happen. So you're very prepared to be like, okay, I know that by turn six, this person's trying to set up the board in this way, and here's how I interact with that. Here's how I counter it. Where if you're not that familiar with the deck you're playing against, then you don't know how to beat it. But again, that takes time, and time is a significant yeah. resource. Um, absolutely. Yeah, and, and you feel helpless a lot of the time too is the other thing. Like I, I know that there's a lot of – there are some decks that – everybody kind of has their boogeyman. Mm-hmm. And there are those decks that just tilt you off the face of the earth. And and a lot of times I found that those decks were the ones that I hadn't played, so I didn't understand what they were doing. So I just kind of felt helpless because I didn't know how to counter them. Like I, one of the things that I recommend is that if there's a deck that just keeps getting the best of you, play it and then learn how it loses because you'll learn real quick how it loses. Because right. you're going to play it poorly and you're going to get beaten in by people who know how to play against that deck. You're going to learn. Le- you're going to learn what to do to that deck based on what people are doing to you. But that's not always something that's available to everybody either. I mean, the borrowed decks feature is something that got implemented so you can play with somebody with a deck that a friend has in a, in a friendly challenge. But other than that, like there's no way to like rent a card if you need, if you're missing like a legendary right. that you need in order to build that deck. So it's, it's, you know, it's good advice, but it's also kind of 
coming from a state of somebody who has a fairly full collection, which isn't always the case for, you know, people who are just trying to learn the game. So I wanted to, we're kind of winding down here. I did get a question from the audience. So uh, someone on Twitter wrote to Spartonius, uh, who's been uh, kind of watching our Hearthstone exploits, and he's been going, getting higher up on the ladder lately, which uh, is, is fun to see. So he'd say, he asked, I uh, would love to hear your speculation about future sets and mechanics they could add. What's both of your favorite mechanics from the game so far? And maybe to tweak this question a bit is what what mechanics do you think they can introduce in, into the game to make it more compelling, to, to make it more interactive, and, and some of the things you were talking about before that are maybe limitations of Hearthstone? Yeah, I mean, one thing that I've thought that they could add, I don't know if it's necessarily answering your, your you know, your spin on the question, but one thing that I've thought that they could add that I'm I'm kind of surprised that they haven't um, is deck manipulation. Like, there's a card from Magic, I believe it's called Brainstorm, and there's probably a million cards like this in Magic that I just haven't been playing long enough that I don't remember, but where, like, you draw three cards and you put two on the top of your deck so that you kind of know what your next two draws are going to be, or you can kind of manipulate your deck, your opponent's deck, or put put cards from play on top of the deck, that sort of thing. Like that when when they introduced um, Gnome Feradu in, in Cobalt and Catacombs, which is a card that removes the top card from your opponent's deck. It just burns, um, that it, was just a, like burns it, destroys yeah, it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I always thought that that would be something that they'd be looking at introducing, like some way to use that in combination with a card that would let you manipulate the top of your opponent's deck or the top of your deck. Um, but that's that's not really been something that happened. But I think that might be something. And, and maybe that's just not maybe it's just not really conducive to the game. I don't know. I mean, I, I, there's also, you know, there there are things that would be nice in terms of being able to interact with cards that have gone to quote unquote the graveyard, even though Blizzard doesn't really call that. I mean, Priest does do some resurrecting, mm-hmm. but there's a lot more, you know, interesting kind of quote unquote graveyard mechanics that I think they could probably get into, but that would also involve actually showing you a list of all the cards that have been played in the game, which is something that's also not available on the client right now that people are using Hearthstone Deck Tracker to do. Um, it, it's kind of relying on you having your memory of the entire game state. So maybe that's something that's a little bit further off. Yeah. Yeah, I think, and I mean, a lot of the successful decks in Hearthstone are all about cheating the mana curve in some way. Yeah. You know, Blizzard does that for a while and in, in Wild. The Resurrect Priest was... Big Priest was really strong. I always think they're, they have to be careful about stuff like that. And then yeah. at the same time, when you don't have cards like Dirty Rat that can manipulate your opponent's deck, then you're just sort of sitting there waiting to die to a combo deck Yeah. if uh, you don't end the game soon enough. So it's, again, I don't envy their task of having to balance all, all these things. The mechanics I like that, it wasn't it wasn't all that successful, but I I had enjoyed Inspire back in the day. Yeah, it seemed like it never really found a strong niche, except for the Shaman, just the token deck, and he'd throw was it Thunderbuff Valiant, and he oh god that card yeah and he boost all <laughs> and he would boost all the totems and everything. And you're like oh god just play that Bloodlust and end game. So yeah, that was that was a fun mechanic to discover. I think is 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 a good idea to give players a bit more choice in some of the randomness that happens in the game. 
So there's been some good mechanics. I think some of them have, have fallen a little flat. Rush is sort of interesting. I don't I think you have thoughts about uh, the Hunter Death Knight. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, the the monsters, the the endless value he can create. Yeah, yeah, I mean, well, it's just it's just that it's whenever you have that much randomness, and this kind of goes back to the Oxaron conversation, also, like it, it regresses towards the mean. So what happens is that it's random, but eventually you know the kinds of things that you're, are going to happen, and if you do it enough, then it gets very consistent, and I think that kind of takes away from the randomness. And so, like, I've been playing a lot of that Hunter deck where Rex, Deathstalker Rexar is a card that changes your, your hero power to create a custom beast where you get offered two sets of three cards. One is a minion that ha- – a beast that has five or less cost that has some car- sort of card text, some sort of effect on it. And then um, another set that also are five or below but just have a keyword. And, or, or nothing at all, and then you build a custom beast, and you can put one of those in your hand and then play it. And it, it just, it, it, the difference between getting it and not getting it, especially because of some of the effects that have been introduced in some of the beasts in the last couple of sets, have made it like it's much more of a, of a sustainability and infinite value engine than I think it was ever really intended to be. And it, I, I think it's probably going to be bad going forward, but it's also going to be rotating out in six months, so it hopefully it won't be, it won't be too big of a deal. I, I think that. Control randomness is very good for the game, and it's a matter of trying to figure out how they can introduce more of it. Like, Discover is one of the best mechanics that they've ever introduced. And I think that Rush is good in terms of kind of allowing you to interact with your opponent with minions um, without without having to have the danger of them just being able to attack your opponent's face, which was kind of the problem with charge. And and I think that rush has generally been pretty successful. It may not be the cards with rush printed on them per se, but like Dr. Boom mad genius has been really effective in odd warrior because it makes, it gives all of your mechs rush and typically, and, and how master Shaw in Hunter is kind of the same thing right. that it's, you know, the cards that have rush printed on them are generally, the cost is adjusted up to count to account for that, which is the same thing with like adapt in Angoro, where if you have a, a minion that has adapt printed on it, it's probably too expensive to be worth playing. But if you have a whole bunch of Murlocs and you have a, a four a four cost card that says adapt all your Murlocs on board, all of a sudden adapt sound adapt seems pretty great. Yeah, Murloc Paladin. <laughs> I love that deck. Yeah. Yeah. So that so I think that, you know, it's those ways of getting the keyword on the minion that don't involve the, the minion getting adjusted up to account for that makes those mechanics a lot a lot better. Um, I think magnetic is kind of a bust, unfortunately, and and echo is kind of interesting too. But they had to make the cards so carefully to not let them get out of control mm-hmm. that it, it they kind of were uh, were a little bit less exciting than they could have been. Like, and you start seeing some of the things like there's a a, a Reno Warlock deck in Wild that runs Glinda Crowskin, which gives all of your minions Echo, mm-hmm. and then that plays that plays Sea Giants or or Molten Giants or whichever giant it is that gets down to zero. Mm-hmm. So you basically can just play Glinda and then you just dump a whole bunch of eight eights onto the board, and like okay, your turn. Yeah, I want, um, I once did that in Wild <laughs> playing because usually in Wild when I'm just if I have a Rogue quest that I'll just I have like a miracle rogue deck i yeah. have in wild and i once stole 
Glinda, and then I had a zero arcane giant. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so I was like, okay. And I just, like, pounded the board with these arcane giants over and over again. I was like, yeah, this would be fun if you could pull this off consistently. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I played the, the Evolve mid-range Shaman in, in Standard, and there are a couple times where you'll evolve. So it's a, it's got a card in it, which doesn't have Echo, but it may as well. Um, Unstable Evolution, which turns your, which is a one-cost spell that turns one of your minions into a minion that costs one more and puts another copy of it into your hand. And I've evolved a minion into a Radiant Elemental, which makes all your spells cost one less. So and all of a sudden, infinite. all... Yeah. Yeah, so all of a sudden, I get whatever minion I want. It's as expensive as I want. And, um, I, you know, I've ended games on turn three because I've just gotten, like, you know, a nine drop on turn three, like, your turn. <laughs> so, you know, I think that those those kinds of mechanics are, are interesting, and I like seeing them take chances with stuff like that and with the Death Knights and the hero cards. And I, I feel like they... You know they they need to introduce more ways, um, you know, to in, to uh, to introduce counterplay to some of these combo decks that just feel like they there's no way to really be able to to stop them. I think that the problem that they had in Wild with um, with Juicy Psych Melon and and with these um, combos that would just kill you on like turn six when you when you got a bunch of cards in your hand that that card lets you draw almost certainly. Is just that there's no way to stop it. Like even if there's a way to to counter it, it's random by nature because um, even the cards that let you discard a card from your opponent's hand don't let you choose it. They make they do it at random, so you're kind of guessing when to do it, and you're not you're not even guaranteed to get the right one that you want. And even then, you have to draw that card in a particular time before that that combo goes off, so you're not even guaranteed to be able to interact with it. Yeah, like what? And I think that just how, you know, what mana would you, or in what stats would you assign a card like the Warlock Nome card? Faratu. Yeah, Gnome Ferratu. Yeah. That was like a discover mechanic where you play the card, it, it shows you three cards from your opponent's deck, and you get to destroy one. What would that cost, and what would the stats be? It would probably be, I mean, I would imagine it probably wouldn't be stats. It would probably be something like Draconid Operative, where it requires you to build your deck around it. Because I mean that's what deck. I mean other other than discarding, I mean it, the, you know the getting a copy of was basically that's what you're describing. Draconid operative, and that was a five mana five six. But you had to have a dragon in your hand in order for the effect to go off. And I could see them doing something like that. Like that sounds like a very priesty thing <laughs> for 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 priests to get that would have that kind of well, effect. If the wizards and, listening, bring back dragon priests. Yeah. We're ready. Yeah, and, and I mean there there are decks that it, that would be relevant against. I mean Kingsbane Rogue is the one that I can think of right off the bat that there's no way to interact with that once oh, it gets going. Oh, I hate that deck. And, and that's, and, and most people hate that deck. And, and the reason that you hate it is because you just feel helpless. Like you're playing the game and you just know that you're going to, you're going to, you're going to lose and it's going to take forever, but there's not really anything you do, you can do about it, but you kind of need to stick it out because there's like a 1% chance that you could win. Right. And and those and being able to interact with those games or, or there's a card in um, Elder Scrolls Legends, a game that I spend some time with every so often. Um, I, I like it a little bit more than Eternal. It's a little bit closer to Hearthstone than Eternal is, um, which has a spell that will destroy a minion on the board and every copy of it in the deck. Hmm. And I don't know if that would help against. I mean, that there you can also play three and four copies of a card. Right. So. 
I don't know if that would necessarily be as, as effective in Hearthstone where you're limited to two, but something along those lines that would let you interact with cards in the deck aside from just like Skulking Geist, because Skulking Geist is very good at what it does, but it's also only affects one cost spells, and maybe there needs to be something that is uh, a weaker body for more mana that lets you, you know, like you said, discover a card and blow up all the copies of it in the deck or something like that, because I, you need to have some way to feel agency in those matchups, and, and there's a cost to including a card like that, too. Like, if you're playing against a deck where it's like Zoo, where every minion is just going to hit you in the face, and it doesn't really matter. Like, you can get rid of the most egregious ones, but the rest of them are just going to come that much faster. So it doesn't necessarily do anything for you. So there is a cost against those decks. Like, the Eater of Secrets back when Freeze Mage was a thing. Like, um, you know, Secrets, you needed to be able to get through all of the ice blocks that would protect them from a tur- for a turn. And the Eater of Secrets would let you blow those up without triggering them, and then you could kill them that turn. But if you were playing against any deck other than... Freeze Mage, kind of you're playing hard in your hand. Yeah, you're playing a very expensive, very, very poorly statted minion that doesn't do anything. So, but again, there was a lot of complaining about those kinds of tech cards being bad trade-offs. So I don't know what the answer is, but I, I would love to see them introduce more counterplay for some of these decks that kind of get these inevitable win conditions, even if it's something that's not going to be successful 100 percent of the time. Yeah. Well, it'll be exciting. Like you said, the the uh, changes to the game are coming. As we're recording this tomorrow, by the time it uploads uh, next week, the nerfs will have been live for a while. And what, what do you think you're going to be interested in playing once uh, the changes take place? Um, I usually try to go through my list of bad ideas <laughs> and try them out again and see if they're a little bit better. I think that, like... The priest decks that have been coming out the last couple of weeks are showing a lot of promise, a lot of the, the kind of going back to the resurrect um, well and, and trying to resurrect a bunch of big minions and burst your opponent down. That's I think those. I, that's what I've been playing lately. It's, it's yeah. fun. Ziliax is just really strong. Yeah. And they're just like a little bit too inconsistent. They probably still will be. Um, I'm, I'm thinking that like. You know, there are some of the, like, there's an even Paladin deck that's going around in Standard that will probably be a little bit better when you don't have to go through a, a flood of um, of one-twos with Divine Shield. And I think that some of those decks that just kind of feel like they run into a wall, I mean, maybe Elemental Mage will finally, this has been kind of my prep project for like a year, is trying to, I call it Janky Mage, but like an Elemental Mage, sometimes, sometimes spiteful, sometimes not, um, sometimes running spells, but like, Elementals trigger if you played an elemental the turn before, so it rewards a lot of right. turn planning, and that and that's kind of been like it's never been good enough, but it's always close, and I just keep trying to make it work. Do so you maybe throw this that will... beast in there that adapts if you've played an elemental, or is that just not even? Oh, uh, yeah, no, that's 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 not nearly annoying enough for this deck. <laughs> um, typ- typically, the way I've been going right now is I'll get a lot of cards that make other cards. Like, you'll get Fireflies that may- that give you fire- Flame Elementals. You- you've got Steam Surger that gives you the Flame Geyser, Servant of Calamos, whatever, and then you've got Leyline Manipulator that discounts all of them, all the cards that didn't start in your deck by two. Right. And then you just have this, like, mi- ridiculous, obnoxious swing turn that um that lets you just kind of vomit a whole bunch of value onto the board and it's never quite worked but it always feels like i'm like one or two cards away so maybe that that's probably something that i'll have to try for science um you know once this comes around again the deck i beat my head against the wall the longest with was a uh 
Sergeant Sally Paladin deck. Oh. <laughs> I wanted that to work so bad. And the game, I probably would have done that if I pulled Sergeant Sally. I can see myself doing that. The games that I won were so rewarding. They were rare. But when I did beat somebody, I got a few, like, wow. Like, just I got a few emotes when I won those games. It was it was good times. But, yeah, I think, you know, it's a shame. And it, it's a, a final thought, just like going back to Vicious Syndicate, I think I wonder if there's more room for innovation than we think there is with, like, these metas being solved and, I don't know. When I first started the game, it seemed like you you felt more mentally comfortable to experiment. Whereas now, if you're not playing one of the top decks, you feel like you're wasting time. Which yeah, I don't know how accurate that is. Maybe maybe that's true. Maybe well, it's not. But it's a, another topic for another day. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a fault of the ladder system, really, because I think that you have to win so many games and in, in you know in a compressed amount of time that you really are disincentivized from experimenting a lot. Like if you go to the, the floors where you can't lose stars, the you know, the ranked floors as they're called, yeah, like, like you will see a lot more in a, a lot more experimentation and stuff like that. And there's always casual mode where you can try that stuff. But it, it feels like there's like casual mode never really feels satisfying because you're never playing against the real decks that you would be playing against on ladder. Mm-hmm. And like you if you're losing games, you know, messing around with something, you can lose a lot of progress really quickly or just waste a lot of time when you need a lot of time, especially if you're somebody who doesn't play this professionally. If you're, you know, someone like like you or I who has a full time job and then and, you know, kids and and other responsibilities and you're trying to fit games in, like especially like the days when like I'll have like a 12 hour day before I get home and then I have like one game before I'm going to like you know, have to have dinner, you know, and, and put it away. And I just want to get one game in and I lose that game in a way that doesn't feel good. Like that really kind of leaves a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah. Um, and it feels like you wasted time. So it's, it's, I, I think that you really are disincentivized from experimenting, especially when there is so much data. And I think there definitely is room and, and you kind of see some of these wackadoodle decks kind of come up. Like I was playing on ladder at rank three yesterday and I lost to an elemental quest mage, that I, I, I had to post it on Twitter because I'm like, I don't know who you are, but I have all the respect in the world for you for building something like this and then being able to beat me with it. And and, it, you know, but it's like those things are like rare. And and usually it's it's just because it's very hard for a normal person to experiment. Also, because you need to really understand the meta very well. Like I've built decks. I've built a control priest in in one meta that I took to legend. And it, it partially was, you know, working with a shell that was already built, but kind of putting my own spin on it. And even then, like, you really need to understand the meta very well, and you need to understand, like, all the cards in your deck and why they're there. And that's a level of sophistication that I think most players expect that that's the experience they're going to have. Like, I hear a lot of people, you know, decrying meta decks and net decking. And it's like, no, like, you need to do that because you don't understand the game well enough to be able to build a deck that you're going to be able to climb with. And it, it really takes, like, having gotten the legend a few times to really understand the ins and outs of why decks are built the way they are to be able to build your own. It's a very, it's actually a very advanced skill, but it's something that the game kind of makes seem as though it should be something you should be able to do right off the bat. Right. Well, thank you for all of your time here on on the the pod and you're quite active on Twitter. So if if folks want to chat Hearthstone or get your ideas about decks or just kind of see your thoughts on uh, Hearthstone and other things, how can they find you on there? Yeah, so you can find me um, on Twitter. I'm, I'm at WickedGood. That's where probably the best place to see whatever I'm doing. Um, I do, again, I do Off Curve. I record about once a week. It comes out whenever I, you know, whenever I have something to say, and sometimes I skip a week, sometimes I do two in a week. 
Um, but that's at offcurve.com or you can go to um, at offcurve on Twitter. And I also stream on Twitch, usually on Sunday evenings. I'm Wicked Good FM on Twitch. I usually try to try to make it as an educational of a stream as I can. I try to talk through my plays and explain why I'm making the plays that I'm doing so that, you know, if you're someone who's watching, you can kind of get something out of it. That's what I try to try to do. And, and I also, uh, you know, as I mentioned, I cast um, a number of tournaments. I usually post that. That's kind of, you know, random whenever something's happening, but I'll post um, usually day of when I'm going to be casting something. And then you can go watch and uh, hear me talk about how other people are playing the decks they're playing. Awesome. Well, Steve, thank you very much for your time. Appreciate it. I'm sure we'll keep chatting on on the Twitter machine and everything else. Good luck on the ladder. And I'm excited to see what things look like after Giggling Inventor gets the nerf bat. And then I guess we're not too far away from a new expansion being revealed, correct? Yeah, I mean, well, BlizzCon's in, what, two, three weeks? Yeah. So there's almost guaranteed to be an announcement of a new... I, I would, it, would be a, it would be a huge shock if there's not an announcement of a new expansion at BlizzCon. They, they have announced one every year since 2005 at BlizzCon, yeah. and, and it's on the, on the right cadence. So we should be seeing a new expansion at BlizzCon, and then that, I would expect that would be coming out in December, and that around then is when you'd be able to hear me on the Happy Hearthstone doing their card reviews over there with Andrew Brown, and that's generally six hours packed into two episodes of nice. going through every card in uh, probably unnecessary detail. But <laughs> but we go through and talk about all the cards and how, you know, not so much like are they good or bad, but how could you use them? Yeah, and kind of, those are the reviews you know, I like. I mean, card reveal season's so fun because every card is sort of test your brain and, okay, what do I want to do with this? How could I do it? Where would it be useful? The reviews that are just like, ah, this card stinks and it doesn't talk yeah. about it, they're not that entertaining to me. Yeah, and we try to get away from that. And a lot of it is, um, you know, what, where would you use this? It, you know, why does this card exist? And sometimes the answer is, well, to make a discover effect worse. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but, you know, a lot of times it's okay, well, you know, here's this wackadoodle deck that I've tried that it's almost there and this card can help it get there. And maybe, you know, I, I, I can, you know, I get to put my optimist hat on for, uh, well, Six hours, hope, so it's fun. Hope springs eternal that the next expansion is going to be bring the card that makes Sergeant Sally viable. I guess it's yeah. wild at this point, but um, yeah, it's like the commercials that they show right after the Super Bowl tomorrow. We're all undefeated. That's how I feel right before a new yes, expansion comes out. Absolutely. <laughs> well, Steve, thank you for your time. It was excellent chatting, and uh, yeah. hopefully, we can do this again sometime. Absolutely, anytime. All right. Great. Take care. Thanks for having me.